Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
<laughs> this is Demetra Nance, and she has voluntarily come today to Rocky Valley. I mean, praise the Lord. What Amen. a talent, right? Um, I'm going to tell you something else that you may not know, and I hope I don't embarrass you. Well, I mean, we'll deal with that later. But she is actually a cheerleader for the Nashville Predators. How many hockey fans do we have in the house? Okay. So... You can tell them that the Predators cheerleader played the fiddle at your church this morning, okay? All right. As we continue to worship choir, will you stand singing about the love of God this morning? It's greater far than tongue or pen.
Amen, amen. Thank you again, choir, Brother Jason and Miss Linda. Thank you again, Miss Dimitri. I was worried I was going to mess that name up, and I didn't want to say thank you, Predators cheerleaders, so I thought, <laughs> thought I'd try Dimitri and see how it, uh, see how it went. Do you know, I tried out to be a Predators cheerleader. Do you know what happened to the applicant? Can you check on that for me since you're in there? Yeah, I, I never heard back, incidentally. Uh, and I thought I had, you know, what it took. So, thank you, Jacob. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The love beyond our understanding. The love beyond our understanding. This morning we have opportunity to gather together and dive into a text in this great book of Romans. Now, any time that we get into the book of Romans, we can be sure that theologically we are going to be challenged. As Paul penned this letter and it is been stood upon by many of the great theologians from the past, many of the forefathers in church history, many books have been written, many songs have been sung about the truths contained in this great book of Romans. But this morning we get to speak on what is perhaps one of the greatest subjects touched upon in the whole Bible, and that is the inexplainable love of our Father God. The inexplainable, non-understandable, incomprehensible, surpassing all understanding love of a wonderful Father who would create us in His image, see us fall in sin, and yet provide us an atonement that we could be reconciled with Him is beyond human understanding. Somehow we tend to overlook the love of God in our conversations, though. We spend plenty of time preaching on heaven. We spend plenty of time preaching on hell. We talk about the stories of the Old Testament. We talk about prayer. We talk about uh, attending church. We talk about fellowshipping with one another. But for some reason, the love of God that should be the focus of all of our thoughts and the captivation of all of our minds and the utterance and the reason for all of our prayers, somehow we seem to slip conversation about that subject. In fact, the great preacher D.L. Moody once told a story of a gambler and a drinker by the name of Harry Morehouse who went to a revival meeting intending to cause a ruckus, got saved, became a preacher, returned to Mr. Moody several years later, now in America. Mr. Morehouse was from England. He came to America. He told Mr. Moody, I want to preach. And on that revival meeting that night, you told me that if I ever became a preacher to come and see you and you would let me preach, Mr. Moody being a man of his word but having no confidence in Mr. Morehouse's abilities, reluctantly gave him the pulpit on a Thursday and Friday as he was going to be out of town. Now, those of you who aren't preachers, I'll just let you know, when a pastor gives you the pulpit on Thursday or Friday, he's not screaming of his confidence in your ability. 
But he gave him the pulpit on Thursday and Friday. Mr. Moody went out of town and told the elders of his church, he said, when I return, I shall take this man off of your hands, but please humor him for these two days. Upon his return on Saturday, they told Mr. Moody, we think you should possibly not relieve this man of his duties. For two nights he has stood and preached on the text of John 3 and 16 and the subject of for God so loved this world. Up until that time, the predominant method of salvation preaching was to preach of hell or to preach of heaven. But in that revival meeting, so many people gave their hearts to the Lord. Mr. Moody said, I have missed the mark in all these years. I should have been preaching on the love of God for his people for all these years. So this morning, I will attempt, as we open this text, to scratch the surface of the love of God that is beyond our imagination. Will you please stand if you are able in honor and reverence for the reading of the holy words of our holy God from Romans chapter 5 beginning in verse 6. For when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for your Holy Spirit's anointing upon our music this morning. God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence in our prayers this morning. God, we take it not lightly. We don't take it for granted in any sense that your Spirit would dwell among us, we realize it is a gift from you. It's not something that we could manufacture of our own. And God, if there be any spirit in this house at this moment that is not your Holy Spirit, God, would you please escort it kindly out the front door before the teaching of your word. Let your people cling to you. Let us draw to you. God, that you would be glorified in these next few moments of our time. And it is in your precious heavenly saving name that we pray as all of God's children said and you may be seated now the first word of verse 6 it's a great big three letter word hard for us to understand sometimes those great big words but we've talked about this word before when you come to this big word for in your text anytime you see the word for in your Bible it is telling you to do something it is telling you to look at the verses prior and realize that the words that follow are tied to the words that are before so when he says for here Paul is telling us to look forward at the verses that he has written before this time because they are going to explain what he's talking about in the verses that follow so what exactly has Paul been writing about just in these first five verses we won't look through the first four chapters, but in these first five verses of this chapter, Paul has been writing about the blessings of being justified, the blessings of being saved by faith, and they include peace with God, the grace of God, and the glory of God, the joy that you can experience in the trials if you are a child of God. And it's like as Paul begins to talk about these things in these verses, he becomes overcome with this thought. He's built it up to this point, and he says all of these things are the results of a relationship with God. But not only are they results of the relationship that a child has with his father when he is a child of God, but they are a demonstration of the love that God has for his children. 
These attributes of God are a demonstration of his love, his character of love. And the first way that we're going to look at this morning that God demonstrates his love is that he demonstrates it while we are undeserving. While we are undeserving. Now, I know I told a story about a preacher pointing to the love of God and how predominantly before that time they had uh, really preached about hell and sin. Uh, and, and, and I told you that story, but, well, I'm still going to talk to you about your sin a little bit this morning because, my friends, the fact of the matter is, until you understand the depth of your depravity, the depth of your sin, you cannot grasp the heights of his love. Let me say that again. Until you understand the depth of your depravity, you can't understand the height of his love. In other words, if you don't understand what you're being saved from, you can't understand what it means to be saved. If you don't know that you deserve hell, you don't know what it means to gain heaven. If you don't know what it means to to deserve to pay the debt for your sin, you don't understand what it means to have a Savior pay it for you. You just can't grasp that. And so at a few, we're going to look at three words in verse 6 as we focus on this thought. First, we're going to look at the end of it. It says, it says that while in due time Christ did what he died for the ungodly. Thank you, both of you. So everybody look at that with me. He died for the ungodly. I want you to keep that in mind. That's one of the words we're going to focus on. That word literally means godless. He died for the godless, those without respect, those who were doomed. And it is in this state of our doom and our damnation that Christ died for us. It reminds me of a story that we find in Luke chapter 7 of when Jesus went to dine at the home of Simon the Pharisee. And while Jesus was there, you remember the story, don't you? Jesus was there and he was reclining at the table at the home of Simon the Pharisee. Now here we have this house. Simon the Pharisee would have meticulously kept all of the laws of Moses his entire life. He would have focused himself and given himself to doing the things that he was supposed to do religiously. By saying that he was Simon the Pharisee, we would understand that in fact he was a religious leader of the time. He was an important man. And here Jesus reclines at his house to dine. But a woman came in. Now if you look in Luke chapter 7, you'll see her described as a sinner which means she was a noteworthy sinner. In fact, most believe she was a a lady of the night, a prostitute, one who would give of herself. And so this lady came in while Jesus is dining at the house of Simon the Pharisee. Now you remember what this lady did, don't you? She came in his house, and as Jesus reclined at the table, she crawled her way to his feet because she really wasn't worthy to stand in his presence. And her tears began to wash the feet of our Savior. So she began to dry them with her hair. And she took an alabaster jar of very expensive oils. And she anointed the feet of the Savior. Simon, being a religious man, looked at this scene and said to himself, This man is no prophet. If he were a prophet, he would perceive who this woman is and what she has done and would not let her be at his feet in this way. But Jesus, knowing what he was thinking, knowing what he was thinking, keep in mind, Simon didn't say, what are you doing, Jesus? He thought, what are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus said, I know what you're thinking. And he told this parable. Now think about it with me. He said, there's a story of a man who had lent money to two debtors. 
One he had lent 500 denarii, one only 50 denarii. And when the time came that neither could pay their debt, neither could pay their debt, and the man forgave them both completely of the debt. Now which one would love the man more? Simon would answer, the one who had been forgiven much. The one who had owed 500 denarii. Well, because he had been forgiven more, he would, he would likely love the creditor more. And he correctly answered, Jesus said. Now, the point that Jesus was making was not that this woman loves me because of her sin and you don't love me as much because you don't have sin. I want to be clear about that. He, he wasn't saying that this woman loves me because she realizes her sin. And you, Simon, you don't have as much sin. You're, not a, you're obviously not a lady of the night. You're not even a man of ill reputation. He wasn't saying it's your lack of sin that means you don't have to worship at my feet. And it's her magnitude of sin that means she has to. I want to be clear, Simon was very sinful. If you read the story, you'll see that he had not opened his home in the proper way to a guest. He had not provided a basin for which Jesus could wash his feet. He had not done anything that he was supposed to do. Simon was an extremely sinful man. The problem was Simon didn't realize he was an extremely sinful man. And because he didn't realize that, he didn't think he belonged at the feet of Jesus. He didn't love Jesus. He didn't understand who Jesus was. He didn't understand what Jesus was doing because he thought he had already arrived. He had already done it so he didn't need the Savior. The woman understood that she was a great debtor. And that she needed a savior. He didn't understand what a debtor he was. That song we sang earlier. How deep the father's love for us has a verse. It was my sin that held him there. Until it was accomplished. It was my sin that held him there. Until what was accomplished? Until my sin was accomplished. Not your sin. Well, your sin too, congratulations. But my sin was accomplished. That's how long Jesus stayed on the cross. How long did he stay there? Till it was done. And it was my sin that held him there. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said it this way. He said, it's to the extent to which we realize our inability and incapacity that we recognize the love of God. Only to the extent that we realize our inability can we recognize the love of God. You know, many, many well-intentioned Baptists experience something in reverse. We've had the good news explained to us in such a way as this. Stay out of hell by accepting Jesus. Glory awaits you. And my friends, I propose to you that while those statements are true, cry out to Jesus. Glory awaits you. Unless you know what you're crying out for salvation from, you cannot understand what it means. And let me give you an example. As a young man, only seven years old, I heard a very well-intentioned pastor whom I love to the day he died with all of my heart. He had no ill will in his mind. But he made a statement, those of you that don't want to go to hell, will you slip your hand up? And as a seven-year-old boy, I had heard enough sermons about hell because my parents made me go to church every week. I knew I didn't want to go to hell. And when that man said, if you don't want to go to hell, will you slip your hand up? The first thing I did was slip my hand up. And he said, if you slipped your hand up 
I want you to come and pray a prayer with me. And I walked down the aisle and I said a prayer with that man at seven years old because I didn't want to go to hell. And then two weeks later, I was dunked in the water behind the church and baptized. And my parents were so proud and my mama was so happy and my family was so in love and my, everybody was so excited about the experience. But at 22 years old, 16 years later, I came to realize that the experience at seven didn't produce a single change in my life. Nothing had changed on that day. I had wandered far away from God in my teenage years and in my early adult years and had very little conviction other than the concern of disappointing my family. Had no concern about what I was doing to God, running recklessly. But at 22 years old, I recognized the depth of my sin and how egregious I had been to my father and that I was a disappointment not to my family, but to my God in the way that I was living. If you looked at the way I was living my life, you wouldn't have said on the outside I was a disappointment to man. In fact, most of you would have said he's probably a good kid. He's probably a good guy. He's never been to jail. He's never murdered anyone. He's never stolen anything from the store. He gets up and goes to work. That may be questionable. He gets up and attends work every day. You'd have said he's a good guy. But the depth of my sin at 22 years old, I realized I'm not a good guy. I'm a helpless sinner in need of a Savior. And that's when I got saved. It's when I realized that I was egregiously falling short of my Savior. And I realized what it meant to be loved by God. Up till that point, I realized what it meant to know who God was. In our story, Simon knew that Jesus was Jesus. But the woman knew that he was a Savior. So as we go through this morning, looking at the love of God, I ask you this question to pose to yourself. And if you pose it now and you find yourself on the wrong side, I want you to turn your listening ears off. I'm giving you permission. Don't listen to the rest of the sermon. Wrestle with this question. Are you Simon or are you the lady? Do you recognize Jesus as a Savior or do you only know him as a man? Second thing I want us to focus on, we're going to move quickly. I might have got a little, little off track there on that first point. But the first word we were looking at was we were ungodly. The second thing I want us to look at is that we were without strength. It says, but while we were still without strength. We were ungodly, but we didn't have the strength. Ephesians says salvation is a gift of God, lest any man would boast. If we could do anything to earn our salvation, my friends, then bless God we wouldn't get it done because we're incapable. If there was a list of things we had to accomplish to get to salvation, we would never get there. Why? Because we're a sinful people incapable of doing good things. Did you realize that? You're incapable of doing good things. Now, I know somebody's going to catch me after the service and say, you know, I know of an atheist that goes and feeds the homeless. Is that a good thing? Yeah, but the Word of God tells me those things that are not done unto God are just filthy rags. So while he may be doing something morally good, he's not doing something that is good in the eyes of our Lord because he's not a child of God. You say, but, but by our earthly standards, he's doing good. I don't care about your earthly standards. Your earthly standards will send you straight to hell. But by God's standards, it says only those things that we do unto him in his love. I hear all the time people say, well, I was going to get saved, or I was going to come forward, or I was going to come to church, I was going to do this, I was going to do that. But you know, Brother Jason, I just got to get this right first. I know that I'm not living right, and I got to get this right first. My friends, do you know that if you could get it right, you'd already got it right? You don't desire to keep doing it wrong. You can't do it right. 
You cannot fix it. You cannot get it. The only way you're ever going to get it is to realize that you can't. And you don't have the strength. Salvation is only given when we realize we can't save ourselves. Why? Because we're a prideful people. And if we're able to do it on our own, we're not going to ask for help. You get that, don't you? It's not just in salvation, but think about your normal, oh, everyday life. If you can get it by yourself, you ain't going to ask nobody for help, particularly men. How many of you have loaded a lawnmower into the back of a truck by yourself up a two-by-six instead of calling your neighbor to help you? Ladies, how many of you have messed up a casserole because you wouldn't call somebody with the right recipe? Because you had to figure it out on yourself. Third thing I want us to look at, real quick, verse 6. I want us to look at the timing. It says that it was in due time. It means it was in the right time. Literally, it was in the time that had been determined before the beginning of time that Christ was going to come into this world and die for our sins. Jesus was not a backup plan as for salvation of your sin. Galatians 4.4 4 says, in fact, that when the fullness of time came, God sent his son, Jesus. When the fullness of time came, when it was time, God sent his son. It wasn't like we were meandering through and God said, wait a minute, they messed up. Let me figure out what I'm going to do. How about Jesus? Let me figure out when I'm going to send him. No. No. Jesus was the plan from the beginning. He was our creator. He was there. And when it came time, he put on flesh and came and dwelt among men. He lived a perfect life that we couldn't live and died a perfect death that we couldn't die and suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer. And he did it at exactly the right time. But you know that it wasn't only at the right time in, in the history of the universe. It was the right time for you. What do you mean? I mean that for each of us who have cried out to Jesus, we did it at just the right time. We did it at just the right time. When was that time? Well, it was when we realized that the rope was around our neck and we couldn't take it off. That we cried out and said, God, please save me. And he removed that noose. He demonstrated his love to us while we were ungodly. He did it because we were incapable of doing it on our own. And he extends it at just the right time. That's the love of God, my friends. That while we were not worthy and incapable, he extended his love to us. second thing I want us to look at this morning is that God demonstrates in his, his love in a way that is beyond our human ability. It's beyond our human ability. Look at verse 7 real quickly. It says, Scarcely a righteous man will one die, and yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. And really what Paul is saying is that maybe for a good man somebody might die. Maybe for somebody who was considered good or had been good to them, somebody might be willing to lay down their lives. But really what he's, what he's trying to point out to us is that it would be uncommon and even scarce that man would lay down his life for another man. Might be willing to for somebody that was morally good, but, but it's pretty scarce that you would lay down your life for another man. And really what Paul is trying to make sure we understand is that the love of God is far surpassing of the love that we experience from men. The love of God is far surpassing any earthly love that we could ever experience from men. And I tried to think, how can I make an example of this? And what I came up with this. Remember back to your childhood. For some of you, it's a long time ago, but try. Remember back to your childhood when you experienced that feeling where you met that first boyfriend or girlfriend. And you came home to your family and you made this statement, I love her. 
How many of you remember what your parents said? If many of you had parents who said something like this, you don't know what love is. And those of you who never experienced that, it's because you were probably ugly and that's okay. <laughs> Just kidding. If you ever watched Forrest Gump, you would remember what did Jenny say to Forrest quite often? You don't know what love is. And you thought your family was crazy. But now, hopefully, you've grown up, you've fallen in love, and you've realized that that love you thought you had before paled in comparison to the love that you experience now for your spouse or for your children or for your family, right? It'll be like that when we embrace the love of God. It's like realizing that all of the earthly love that we felt, even the love for our children, pales in comparison to the inexplainable love of God that he has for you. Really, Brother Jason? Really. I thought about this the other night. I was looking at one of my children dining upon a bottle, looking over at my oldest child, playing a video game. And I thought, man, just yesterday you were sitting here eating this bottle. And I thought, I love my kids so much. I would do anything for my kids. And then I thought about this message. I thought about Romans 5, 7, and I said, how deep the Father's love for me, that this love I have for these children pales in comparison to how much God loves me. I can't understand it. I can't explain it. And you know what? I don't want to. That's one of those mysteries of God that the fullness will not be revealed until I sit beside him in heaven, and I'm okay with that. You say, well, Brother Jason, I want to understand these things on earth. I want to grasp them. No, you don't. No, you don't. Just accept the mysteries of God because if you could wrap your brain around the things of God, he wouldn't be that magnificent. I'm perfectly good saying my God is above anything I could ever understand. And his love is above anything I could ever, ever feel. No matter how much time goes by, the fact of the matter still remains that God loved you so much that here in a few verses, Paul's going to write that we were at enmity with him. That means we were enemies with him as sinners. And that while we were sinners, he sent the blessed Son of Man to die. Because he loved you so much. And so he demonstrates his love for us in a way that far exceeds anything we will experience on this earth. Finally this morning. The love of God is demonstrated to us only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. We said it was beyond our earthly understanding. So if it's beyond our earthly understanding, why are you going to preach the third point? That's because I wrote it. How do we understand the love that he has for us? Look at verse 8. Verse 8 is, in my opinion, Paul's John 3.16, by the way. Romans 5.8 is kind of Paul's way of saying John 3.16. He said, but God demonstrates his own love toward us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were ungodly, but God demonstrated his love he sent his son to die for us. Jesus came to this earth at the right time. 
He lived a perfect life, and he who knew no sin. Think about that. He who knew no sin became sin. That we might become righteous. He who never sinned took on your sin so that you might be counted not guilty for your sin. Think of this with me. You could live your whole life, your entire life, and commit all the sins that you commit in your entire life. Die apart from Jesus and spend eternity paying for only your sins. Let me make sure you understood what I was saying. You could live your entire life and accumulate all the sins of your life. Now, I know most people in here are holy, but I got a lot of sins that I accumulate every day. And if I lived my entire life accumulating every one of those sins, it would be a pretty big list of sins. And if I died apart from Jesus, I'd spend an eternity paying the debt for just my sins. But how much did God love you? Jesus laid down on a wooden cross. He took the nails in his hands. And he was hung above for all the world to scoff upon. With a crown of thorns on his head. And in a few short, agonizing hours, he did for everyone that would accept him what you would have to spend an eternity paying for just yourself. Think about the agony of the cross. Think about the agony of the cross, that he was enduring the punishment for everyone's sins. And it would take you an eternity to pay for yours. That's love, my friends. That's love. I spent the last half hour or so trying my best to demonstrate the love of God with words to be quite honest, I'm sure did not do it any justice because the love of God is beyond my words. And I am flawed and incapable. But if I had to sum it up, I would say that John does a pretty good job when he writes these words. For God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus that whoever would believe in him, wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave us Jesus. That's love. While we didn't deserve it, while we weren't worthy, Jesus died for us anyway. So how do we respond to this text this morning? We recognize the depths of our sins. We understand that his love is beyond our understanding and we realize that it's only expressed through Jesus Christ. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Are you like Simon? Are you curious about Jesus? Or are you like the woman? Are you in love with Jesus? If you're a child of God and you find yourself not serving at the feet of Jesus then quite frankly, my friend, you're in the camp of Simon. 
you're still curious about him because to know him is to love him and to love him is to serve him. But maybe you're here and you know about Jesus and you've been told the stories. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been to a church. I don't know. But somewhere in this message today, you've realized that you never wrestled with your sin and you never recognized that you needed a savior and you never cried out to Jesus and asked him to save you. Would you be like the woman this morning and come to his feet? Because Jesus goes on in that story as he finishes to tell her, Woman, your sins are forgiven. So would you be like the woman this day and come and let your sins be forgiven? Let's pray. Father God, God, we come to you recognizing that we are vile, not worthy of saving. Yet while we were still sinners, you died for us. And God, you demonstrate your love for us. And then while we were vile and undeserving, you died for us. So God, in your house this morning, there are those who know you, who are your children, to say, I'm not serving you the way I should. I'm not living for you the way I should. I'm not giving to you the way I should. God, would you stir a conviction in your children's hearts that they would come this morning to your feet and repent and be washed in your love. And God, for the person here, He says, I don't know that I know that I know Jesus. I don't know that I've been saved. Would you give them the courage? God, only you can save. So would you do a work in their life? Save them. Convict them. Bring them forward. That they would repent and be saved. And washed in your love, God. It is in your precious heavenly name that we pray. Amen. Will you stand as we sing? Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that
Thank you and have a blessed day.